Hello everyone and welcome to Haunted Picture Palace Season 2 Episode 4, I think that's right. That is. It is, and today we are looking at Victor Shostrom's 1921 film The Phantom Carriage. I'm I'm Ben and this is Amelia. Hello. Should we crack right on? Yeah, well we'll put the theme in. <coughs> yes, so uh, I thought, well I mean we thought for this week we would take a trip back in time. As we're recording, we're a hundred years on from the premiere of this, which is, that's extraordinary, really, mind-blowing, when yes. you think about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I sounded sarcastic, but it, was, but... <laughs> it is actually mind-blowing to think that, actually, to my mind, the that's wrong. Yeah, can't be, can't be true. No. No. <laughs> I but think it is a, in fact true I think it's because in my brain a hundred years ago is still sort 2000? of the victor- oh, what? like as in the year 2000 yeah exactly so hundred years ago is, yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know 20 years ago is the 80s yes. and uh, whereas 20 years ago is actually 2001 yep yeah, yeah uh, no, disgusting, that's horrendous why would you talk about I that know, let's I'm cut sorry that. let's <laughs> but I thought we'd go back to silent cinema for a variety of reasons first of which is i adore you love it silent cinema but also that i think it is an important and overlooked element of film that was a com- developed very quickly into a complete grammar and a complete way of filmmaking that still influences modern filmmaking in some fundamental ways in terms of shot composition and um, we've got things coming up in here of double exposures being the convention for mm. spirit leaving the body for instance styles of editing flashbacks things which we are when you watch this you are watching this vernacular being born well how old i think it's important to have the context of this so how long had cinema been around at this point first of all and then how long had silent film been around and then where are we in terms of feature length a sort of potted history if you'd like yeah so the moving image cinema is sort of about 25 years old by this point the 1890s when people like the lumiere brothers start exhibiting film and these are these are moving image but they're not films in any kind of way that you would understand them Mm. I think the famous one is the train coming into the station, which is oh, yes, one yes, of the things yes. that there are stories that it terrified audiences because yes. they thought there was a train coming towards them. I don't think that is true. I don't think there's anything from the time that suggests that that is. Did anyone mention was it was people... a sex metaphor? No. <laughs> Never mind. Carry on. <laughs> Although I think the first cut between two scenes mm. in a film comes comes later, and I believe that that is for the kiss in the tunnel which is a British film from the early ah, 1900s yes. in which a train goes into a tunnel yep. and two people who are sitting next to each other, uh, all prim and proper in the light, then goes into the tunnel and it cut, and he has kissed. They, they have kissed. So, you know, that comes in very, very early. The cinema is always a early adopter of sexual metaphors. Yeah, of course. So we have our first moving pictures mm-hmm. around 20, 25 years earlier than this. And the idea of a feature film, a narrative mm. storytelling, rather than just a sort of cinema verite of a, for instance, a ship in a storm. Yeah, a scene. Yeah, yeah people leaving a factory. Comes in in around 1910, 
1910, 1911, so about a decade earlier than this. Yeah, is Phantom Carriage is 1921. And then a decade later, all of this is swept away. The, the coming of sound is about 1930, yeah. give or take. So it, it's, uh, it all develops very, very quickly. As a, It would be as if a medium was developed at the turn of the millennium. A new thing. iPods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, as if iPods were a new type of, I suppose, podcasting, maybe, is the thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. Possibly. I mean, things that turned up in the 2000s, you're looking at smartphones. Yeah. And look where they are now. Like technology, once it gets going with human beings, seems to just... Imagination takes over and then the machines take over. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, but it's a good way of looking at it. That, like When this was made, mm -hmm. film, cinema was as old as smartphones are now. <laughs> or as modern yes. or as young as smartphones are now, however you want to look at that. Yes, so that was important for to give you an idea of how properly, truly mind-blowing, not my weird, sarcastic bass tone <laughs> mind-blowing, but the actual mind-blowing of the people watching this who couldn't possibly understand how it was done. Everybody has quite a knowledge now, like a base knowledge of CGI, for example, yeah. of things not being there that definitely look like they're there, but we know they're not. But this stuff hadn't been invented yet no. so people were seeing it all for the first time <laughs> yeah literally hasn't been invented with that in mind i do just want to do just an ever so slight content warning i know these are becoming a tradition now but definitely themes of suicide and of poisoning children yeah. so just keep it together gang <laughs> alcoholism as well i suppose we should mention if that's i guess a, if yes just that's a, true while we're there if this is if that's a thing that and ghosts can worry you and ghosts so shall we crack on let's opening scene i think it's important to note that she's been got by the galloping consumption indeed bloody hilarious disease names part one <laughs> right not just your regular consumption but a particularly virulent form it seems this is uh sister edith who is a salvation army sister salvation army worker who is dying. Nice, cheerful opening to the film. And uh, we learn in the intertitles that she seeks for a man called David Holm. That's her sort yes. of dying wish, if you'd like, that Mr. Holm should come and see her, which causes some consternation in the uh, room where she's in. Yep. And people are sort of somewhat dismayed that she should wish to see it. We don't know who David Holm is yet. Well, I will say my notes from this opening scene uh, were not what I was expecting I have to say and I'll talk about it more when I get into my notes in absolute block capitals slightly <laughs> later on <laughs> this film is madly worth watching like it's wildly worth watching and I'm not skeptical of silent film I'm aware that my attention span is or my prevalence and my attention span are more leaning towards slightly more modern films just because I'm lazy if I'm honest, and I like to look and not read, you know, but <laughs> apart from, I mean, to be fair to myself, I'm usually knackered by the time I'm watching a film, but for the purposes of this, and to take an hour and 40 minutes out of your life and watch something really genuinely great, I would definitely give this a go, and as a staple of extremely early horror and what it meant, Ben will talk more about the context of that as well, because I feel like it's important, but to keep a lot of these facts in mind 
while you're watching it, I feel like it makes it a more enjoyable experience, but also like it's just visually very, very pleasing. Every scene looks like a photograph by Julia Margaret Cameron. I'll put one on the please do thing yes. on the Instagram so you can see it. But uh, she was a very early portrait photographer that did a lot of portraits of children and young people looking like pre-Raphaelite paintings. And there's a lot of that vibe of the like flowing hair. It's Edwardian. Well, yeah, it's I know. Contemporary it's next to this, door. Uh, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And everybody has an incredibly modern face and I wasn't expecting that either. You know, there's a particular makeup and style and obviously I go for the style. Mm. That's my bag. There's a particular makeup and style that I've been looking at a lot lately just as a weird rabbit hole that I fell down one day of what was fashionable in the 20s in makeup that differed from country to country. Ah. Um, and I showed you a picture of yes, the Romanian, I the Romanian beauty, and like there's things from what was Arabia, you know, there's things from all over the place, where everybody's just got a different way of doing it and a different. In fact, you were watching something that was from near the twenties, from Russia. Yes, where a little the bit beauty later, standards, sort of wartime-ish. But, oh, okay, uh, but beauty standards completely different place to place. You mm. see it now if you ever see footage of people doing cgi for the beauty standards of each country like to change an image to oh, put in a magazine fascinating i haven't really seen interesting that, um you know certain places accentuate the hips certain places make the noses wider it's quite yeah. amazing but in this case that heavy eyeliner that in the west we're very used to seeing that kind of sort of like punched in both eyes um eyeshadow the incredibly thin eyebrow isn't present here we have very modern looking makeup we have a smoky eye at best on the men and the women so that you can see their features (laughs) yes which is a hangover from stage i presume as well from stage makeup but also because it needs to be high contrast for the black and white but apart from that you if you struggle to think that this wasn't something that was filmed recently in a 20s style in places yeah yeah and I'll say at this point, early on in the in the pod, that we'll have the link somewhere because this film is on YouTube. If you, if us talking about it is, has intrigued you, it is up there uh, in multiple prints and probably will continue to be because it is now, I believe, out of copyright. Oh, it's extremely it good quality. So old. Yeah, it was extremely um, good quality, and you wouldn't have known. Yeah. One more thing before we move on from that opening scene. Just a little tiny note on extremely fine lace work on the mother's knitted scarf. The mother has an incredible face for drama. Oh, good spot. Um, yes, but it's you can see through it in the light. It's that beautifully knitted. Like, it's incredibly uniform. It looks like it's done by machine, but definitely wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, one of my notes from the opening scene here is that we that this version that we've we've watched and that we'll link to is a tinted print so yes. it is black and white but uh the, there are as was fairly standard practice in the silent era you can't do color in the scene mm-hmm. but you can yeah you can tint it so it's not black yeah. and white it's black and yellow or or black and blue or black and pink or yeah. but yes uh, david home is sent for to get back on plot david home is sent for and cannot be found mm-hmm. but mrs home his wife is yeah. found and comes in. And a th- common thing that people talk about in with criticisms of silent cinema is that it's overdone, right? That it's sort of these yes. big exaggerated uh, gestures which are often mocked and played too... Yeah. Uh, yeah, overplayed, played too much. And you can see why that is. Watching this, you can, you can understand that. But at the same time, 
you have to remember that because we've got no speech, you, you get such a lot of her character and her situation just from her face when she walks in the in the room. Yeah, I mean, I spent the whole thing calling her Grizabella from yeah. Cats because she's painted that way. The Elaine Page, not the kind of audacity. Of oh, but yes, whatever that was. was Dame Judi Dent was meant to be Grizabella? I think it was, yes. Who, they Lord knows. Cast. Not that abomination, but... <laughs> Elaine Page's number of flights and dodgy eyeliner but still being beautiful. Yeah, yeah. fine. Very shaky-handed, but I disagree. I don't think anybody played it over the top in this film by hmm. silent film standards. I really don't. I feel like most people gave a serious performance, and when they weren't doing that, they were exaggerated by alcohol each time. So she is, yes, fair enough, she's doing her drama build and... That is for us. That's so that because we don't know who she is. No. And she comes in and is immediately. And I put Mrs. Home is crackers and now she gets cuddles. So, like, she's <laughs> she's clearly nuts. We know that. No one said a word. She's clearly cracked. Yes. And she comes up and is devastated by this haunted face. As exactly. Well. Yeah. By the whole situation and then immediately gets kisses from a dying woman with consumption. I don't. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, it turns I, out consumption is TB. Yes. So, <laughs> so don't, no more kissing. The score here uh, in this film is next level. Um, it's by someone affectionately called Matty By, which I feel like you've made up. I know you. It sounds. I feel like I've made it up, but that's <laughs> that's his name as far as I can see. There are a couple of soundtracks in circulation, but this seems to be the most common one. I wasn't able to find out mm. sort of when it's from. It's not going to be an original score because that doesn't mean anything with these films because no. they didn't have. A score. Sometimes, if you're very lucky, you have sheet music that was used at the premiere, but that doesn't yeah. mean that it was the music that was designed to go along with this. It nope. was just what they had was chosen <laughs> for that. Exactly. Yeah. And depending on where you saw it, would be anything. But it's a very handsomely done uh, yeah. score, and I really think it works and it enhances the production. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, the first time we see blue tint as representing night. Yes. On the outside, when they go and look for Mister Home. It's a spooky place to wait for midnight. Because it is New Year's Eve, yes. turns out. And to celebrate, Mr David Home and two of his drinking companions are drinking and smoking in a graveyard. <laughs> Goths. We've been yeah. around a long time. Goths everywhere. <laughs> They're drinking in a graveyard. It's a spooky place to wait for midnight. It's interesting how many things translate and are shifted over from stage which was only 20 years prior to yeah. and still obviously I mean, ongoing yeah but <laughs> but still to use the language of the stage to communicate things to the audience in the same way is really interesting so they still have this trio of shakespearean style comic relief drunks yeah they're not comic relief for long <laughs> but they're, they are a tool that is used again and again to soften the blow of a harder topic in, by shakespeare and in a lot of theatre. So it makes sense to use those in the same way, tragically, as it makes sense to use the symbol of a floppy disk when we haven't used one in a really long time to save things uh, on a computer. Yeah, We know that yeah. that's what that means. And in this case, we know that them smoking like hell's on fire and <laughs> in a graveyard and drinking before we see anything, we know that they're wasters. Yeah, their station in life yes. is very clear immediately. Yes, so our three down and outs mm -hmm. lead us here, I think, into our first flashback. This is, is the beginning right? of flashback inception. You'll yes. know what I mean in a second. <laughs> so we have our first flashback. What colour is it? 
I don't know. It's the normal colour, just to confuse us all. <laughs> so the first flashback, we don't change colour. It's almost like a silent film within a silent film, though. So it's kind of a similar yellowish tint, but not quite. Mm-hmm. We're introduced to George. Yep. Uh, George is considered to be a very jolly man. <laughs> he has a devil beard. So I think that's important to note, you know, like the proper pointed beard and oh, moustache. Yes. It has a name, doesn't it? Is it a Van Dyke? Yes, a Van Dyke. And very dapper, makes everybody laugh. We don't get a lot of subtitle for that bit. It's... Uh, it's... No, but you don't need it, really. No, no, no. It's, it's just it, I spent a long time watching them all laugh, and then I was like, "Oh, he's jolly." Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's. We were told he was jolly, and yeah. here he is being jolly. Because um, yes, this is this is uh, David narrating this tale to his drinking companions. Saying, as "I've well. got a spooky story for exactly, you." Yeah, 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 quite. And then after this one New Year's Eve, he wasn't so happy anymore, and we see him sort of looking like a down and out, looking wicky wasted, and. <laughs> generally being irritated by them now it's nothing is being hugely overstated i've even put that there so after that discussion you know like Mm. it's his sadness is clear but he's not wailing into a handkerchief you know he's not doing the kind of cavalier (laughs) Um, (laughs) yes yes i I would demonstrate it i can't do it over on that's why i did the noise yeah but it's meant to be silent so that but in silence we've hopefully most people listening to this have at least wandered past singing in the rain and the hmm. whole oh. their whole bits in the background where they're doing the like goodness when they're moving into talkies the stuff they're doing before that yeah is this so none of that we're not doing anything wildly overstated but it's still this beautiful turn away from everybody like they're all being quite raucous and playing cards and doing their drunk man thing and he's not having any of it he's not taking part they even offer him a drink several times and he turns it away looking quite hurt by yeah. the suggestion you know something's up don't you something's yeah. <laughs> definitely up when the jolly one doesn't want to drink but he has this lovely monologue out of nowhere when they all begin to fight with each other where he says well they have a little fight they get into a fight we assume over cheating with cards which again we're told purely visually with no what are they called? intertitles intertitles yes with sub, no sub would be under but these are between between scenes intertitles intertitles with no (laughs) intertitles we're told about this thing happening before us because there is a universal language of watching people's body language become angry right so they've got that down and they are quite clowny in their actions but it's still like this isn't funny now like they are actually having a physical brawl yeah and he steps in to tell them another flashback story (laughs) that begins with whoever dies on new year's eve must drive the phantom carriage. Yeah, you want to know why I'm unhappy? Here's why. I'm worried about dying. <laughs> but this, I suppose, is the introduction of the big supernatural element yes. to the film, which is sort of why we are talking about it on this pod. Which Wanted. would be a... It's an adaptation of a book by Selma Lagerlof. Great name. That was uh, translated to English as The Phantom Carriage or Thy Soul Shall Bear Witness. And the Swedish Film Board at the time had an absolute ban of supernatural topics mm-hmm. in film. Horror films haven't been invented at this point. No. Right? The, the idea, I think the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a couple of years earlier than this. So there have been okay. what we might now consider to be horror films before. Yeah. I'm not claiming this is the, this is the first in, in that way. Not also Japan, but yeah. But the classification, if you'd like, or the, the genre of horror film certainly does not exist at this point. But they, they weren't allowed anything 
like that, anything supernatural, anything spooky or whatever. However, Selma Lagerlöf at this time is a big deal in the Nordic countries. She was a Nobel Prize winner wow. for literature. Yeah. So her work was you know, prestigious, mm -hmm. and she was alive, and she was uh, <laughs> and she was plus. quite happy. Yeah, and because she was alive, she was able to approve Shostrom's film adaptation, making yeah. making a film of it. You know, and they got the rights or however this was done back then. And because Lagerlöf was a big cheese, and because she was happy with it, the board, the film board, didn't feel able to overrule mm. a Nobel laureate. So yes. they waived they waived the rules to let this happen because it was culture. Culture, yeah, culture. Yeah, with a capital C. It's the first time we see this ooky spooky double exposure, and it really properly took my breath away. So we do a letterbox vignette, which essentially does look like there's a lot of the use of the rounded vignette. Yeah, and the letterbox vignette when that opens up, it feels like we're actually looking through somebody's letterbox into the scene of a very beautiful young man who I was genuinely shocked, right, because of this thing that I keep forgetting where censorship just wasn't a thing because <laughs> film hadn't been around long enough no. to need to be censored that way. Ben's got an ungodly collection of 16 and 8mm film in this house. Um, I am an expert at storage, so anyone that's been around probably hasn't spotted it. But in our possession somewhere is an incredibly filthy 16 millimeter of i think it's solomon and his seven daughters that is just that would make sense because they would often hang sort of these things on biblical Absolutely. themes because the bible is is, is all right the you bible's know. all right and so are boobs and you can just watch a lot of very um erotic dancing with veils and no one would mind you could just go to the cinema and see that and it wasn't censored and it wasn't this that and the other it might be frowned upon yes uh yeah but... the 30s is when hollywood cracked down on this but that was in america the silent film world is international because there's no nothing to dub uh you can put in whatever intertitles you would like exactly so these films did go all around the world and were re-edited yeah. in various uh, places and the american cut of this film actually was re-edited uh, to make the structure more straightforward. So, oh, so with that's some interesting. Of the, yeah, some of the flashbacks within flashbacks were confusing. Confusing. Well, they thought, oh, this is too confusing. So it was it was re-edited to be a bit more linear. So we start off with the. But then you miss uh, some of the big reveals. That's such a shame. They missed, so well, the, yeah. they missed yeah. the subtlety of but that. But they, but it, yeah, they they re <laughs> they rebadged it if you like, as thy soul shall bear witness, and made it much more of a sort of morality tale. That makes complete sense in twenties America as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you don't have this sort of censorship monopoly on things because of the global nature of silent film. So what plays well in Sweden is different to what audiences in Germany want, different to what audiences in Japan want. Yeah. Britain, you know, anywhere there are things happening. Yeah. So my first set of block capitals is that man just killed himself. He had a cigarette. He looked sad. And he shot himself in the head. Yeah. Like, I just so wasn't expecting it from a silent film. You know, in my head, they are mostly, I mean, obviously I know better, but they are mostly people wailing on train lines. You yes. know, being like, please rescue me. But actually, this... I don't know, it was particularly striking in this medium. And then more, like, even bigger capitals. Death carried the soul away in Double Exposure, and I've I've never seen that done. It was so pretty, so beautiful. And again, would have just messed with people. Yeah. You yeah. know, just yeah. messed with them. I bet you 
there are generations of people that were children watching that in the matinee who believe that's what happened when you die yeah oh yeah hook line and sinker you just would you'd be like they found a way to record it no i mean it looks great it looks really good i don't even need to put caveats on no. here of the fact of for the time or with the primitive that it, it's a it's a very visual thing it looks work wonderful work of art i think it's worth mentioning the difference between double exposure versus the way that you might do it a little bit later you know filming it twice so can you tell us the difference between superimposing an image versus double exposure certainly you if, to superimpose an image you would film with two separate bits of film and then combine the image if you did it that way. Yeah. So you would film scene A, which is a man shot himself, and then you would send that off to be developed. You would film scene B, which is a horseman carriage coming up yeah. and collecting it. And then you would uh, combine the two of them in an optical printer. So you would run the two films, one over the top of the other, print them onto a third strip of film, which would be the one that you would use. That would be yes. your negative with the two of them, one superimposed on the other. Yes. Right? I say simple. That's how they did it from sort of the 30s uh, through to about the 90s, I suppose, yeah. the 80s, you know, when they went on to computers. But this is 1921, so this hasn't been invented yet. The optical printing, it's not. No. Isn't it? it hasn't been done. So what you do, how you do it this way with mm-hmm. the double exposure is that you run your film through the camera. Then you film the first part of the scene. So that would be film one in the earlier idea. So would film the gentleman committing suicide in this case and then you would rewind that film and -hmm. put it through the camera again so the same strip of film you would put it through again and you would film the second scene which would be and hope that you've lined everything up and hope that everyone stood in the right place and hope that you know there's a lot of also the cameras are all hand cranked as well so you have to make sure that that is uh, that they're at the same speed that otherwise they'll sort of not flow properly and some of these scenes are done three or more times so you know that's that's your simple one but in some of these and i can't remember whether this is one particularly but sometimes the spirit characters because that makes when you film them second over what's already there that yeah. makes them sort of see through but sometimes they will go behind other bits of furniture yes. you know if they're walking behind a bed or something and it, so so then you have to film the bed for instance yeah again a third time to superimpose that over the ghost image yeah. so that it doesn't look like they're just sort of wandering through taking a minute there to talk about making it look like he's walked through a wall which he just casually does yeah. in 1921 yeah, so you've got to line that up perfectly. Mm. But crucially, because this is all in the same bit of film, that then once you've done however many times, you'll then have that developed, and then you'll get to see whether it worked. Yeah. But you never, you won't know until you've done all of those things. And if you mess it up on one of them, yeah. you've messed up the whole thing. You have to start again because you've only got the one yeah. bit of film. And these are techniques that were developed. They're not new here. These are the things that George Melies was doing a decade or so yeah. earlier. But this is one of the first times that they're applied in this setting and in this way to drive a narrative forward. Mm-hmm. Before there's it's trick photography, so yeah. um, Melies will sort of duplicate himself with a double yes. exposure or something like that. But it hasn't really been used before in this context. So Melies is our train driving into the moon. Yes, well, um, rocket to the, rocket to the yeah. and the, the the moon face with the rocket coming yes. out of the eye is probably the thing that you will know, and that will be a, a double exposure. Yes, film an actor with white makeup on, and then film the moon and put them together. Yep. Also, look at the costume on this horse. Mm. 
So I believe it's wearing blinkers with a skull-like pattern on it. Bear in mind that it is only ever seen partially faded, so it's very effective. You would have to up the contrast on the lighting of him to get him as crisp as he is yeah. when they film the second time. This horse, I mean, the guy I wasn't... Yeah. <laughs> the guy's great, but yeah. it's the horse I was focusing on here for a second. They have definitely painted a rib cage and bones, and it's so effective. I wasn't expecting it to be, but they've painted this horse. You know, the horse is really chill. I know horse <laughs> body language, and that horse is happy as Larry, right? There's never a moment where his ears are back, or he looks fierce, or he's doing anything that a deathly horse should be doing. <laughs> but he's he's very chill and very placid, and doesn't really run anywhere occasionally gets a bit fidgety because he's got a real broken down old shack of a thing attached to his bum that sometimes catches up to him before it stops yes so to be understood but i don't get the impression that this horse was mistreated i'm just aware that you would never ever in a million years be allowed to paint a horse now and actually it turns out that the animal cruelty laws that that would be covered under in sweden only really came into play in 1988 <laughs> And that would be covered under animals being spared unnecessary suffering. In fairness, that goes all the way from farming techniques. So you do have to sedate an animal in some way before you kill it. Mm -hmm. But, and I mean, Sweden have an incredible relationship with animals that is well known. Sure. And long running. So again, I, I really don't think it was in any danger. But it was very striking to me that they had fully dragged a horse <laughs> to look like a death pony yes and this is all done in studio as well another thing i found out right is you have to do it in studio because you need good lighting mega light yeah because because when you're exposing the film that many times if if you do it in studio you can control the degree of the lighting yeah which helps to make it consistent across yep. each pass whereas if you're doing natural light if the sun goes behind a cloud you might ruin a take and that means you've ruined four takes or however many totally. goes yeah we're in the middle of 1920s inception here. Oh yes, because we're in a flashback. Within a flashback, within a flashback. What's interesting is that up until this point, we don't know who David Home is. We know that people are shocked that Sister Edith wants him by her side. Yep. But we don't know who he is. I actually assumed he was like... From the way they were saying it, I assumed he was quite high up in the chambers or something. Like yeah. he would be... You think he might be royalty. a man of some importance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And from the way they were saying, like, imagine him being here. For this <laughs> it would be a bit like inviting the pope yes but actually he is one of the people at the graves yeah drinking drinking yeah blimey yes we're back in present day because we've come out of the dream inceptions yes. uh, <laughs> do we find out here that george died at new year did george die because george died in that fight yes um, so the weirdest thing is the creepiest thing is that george died at new year yeah funny that it might it's almost like it might come we might need that might later. need that later we'll put yeah. a pin in it yeah exactly but yes, but we're back in, in present day. It's very close to midnight now. And a copper is uh, sort of wandering around and spots David Holm, is, is the lead yes. drunk, and says, hey, hey, you're David Holm. Sister Edith is dying and wants to see you. Yes. And, and he does a big laugh. Lollarama. <laughs> Why would I do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm having fun in the graveyard with my mates. Loving life. I've still got some beers in and still got some sort of dirty fags to smoke he even points at the clock being like mate it's like nearly midnight yeah yeah but bear in mind we're doing all this because that's what's happening visually you know this is not <laughs> what the intertitles are saying no this is our interpretation because we don't actually need to be told that bit he's clearly just telling him to jog on yes <laughs> then the mates turn so he was drinking with some drinking buddies and obviously they respect sister edith they've watched a relationship of whatever sort we don't know yet mm -hmm. 
and they start getting into quite a ruckus trying to get David to attend to her. Yes. You know, they've been told she's in trouble or that she's requested his presence because dying. She's dying, yeah, exactly. This um, is pretty... Um... Yeah, and they have a little fight. Yes. Quite a big fight. Well, I mean, they are all drunk. Yeah. Uh, and they're all sort of fairly rough men, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I would We're know. meant to say that. Yeah, we're meant, to, <laughs> we're meant to feel that way about them. Certainly they don't strike me as uh, particularly gentle or men who would really scruple to, like, have a good fist fight if nope. they felt one was warranted. Like, for instance, that they felt like one of their companions had callously disregarded the dying wishes of a good woman. And... If they're only go- if they're going to fight over, like, thinking that you've cheated in cards, yes. they're going to fight over you've been bad. I just love fighting. <laughs> Which, Whoops. Well, David's dead. Yes, like George, <laughs> David dies <laughs> in and a then, fight with some drunks. Yes, and then ding dong, it's New Year's Eve. Yes. Uh, moments later. So, as we know, whoever dies on New Year's Eve must drive the phantom carriage. Indeed. So, here's David dying at New Year's Eve. And whoopsie doodle, he did. The strings here are absolutely awesome. This is in the Matty Bai score of this kind of relentless screeching of strings as the carriage pulls up this time. Mm. That even... David is David's spirit, if you like, is like ouchies, my ears. Yes, he's holding his hands over this. So it's it's an intelligent bit of music work because yes. we, we know that it's an un, ungodly noise because it it, it moves yes. David to to do that. I believe before this, we've also seen while it was being described in Twenties Inception that there has been a boy at sea, um, as in a human boy at oh, sea. Yes where we saw the carriage attempt to go across the ocean with, again, that same double exposure method and pick up a boy that's out there as well. So we know that it can do any terrain. Yeah. But if it goes everywhere making that noise, you really don't want to hear it coming. So, creaky, creaky. And I put endlessly creaking doors is what it sounds like, like never-ending creaking doors. Yeah. <laughs> George has had a terrible year, hasn't he? George has had a terrible time, yeah. Yes, we've seen some of what he's been up to. Yeah, but it just doesn't look well. No. As it was suggested, George is the driver of the Phantom Carriage because he died the previous midnight or a note before the previous midnight. And it's such a beautiful moment when they recognise each other. It's slow and it's subtle and it's beautifully done. It's a really unusual, tender moment between two two men. Yes. That doesn't exist in this kind of film usually. No. Um, you would get this kind of moment between a man and a woman. Yeah. Predominantly, like in that... Siren! Hey! <laughs> we get at least one every recording, so. Guess where we live? <laughs> the city. So, yeah, I was really taken aback by how. Yay, Siren! Woo, Siren! I was really taken aback by how tender that moment was where they recognise each other, and it's obviously because George has been through hell. Almost literally. Yeah, and. <laughs> David doesn't realise he's dead yet and is quite pleased to see his friend. You know, like it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot for everyone. Yeah, but it's an interesting character point for David as well because he is a real villain. Yeah. But we are given glimpses of, of the man he could have been, yeah. almost. You know, and it's that, is... it's that sixth sense thing as well I've written here. They don't know they're dead, right? So just a little nod to M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Ghost George blames himself he does, yes. He blames himself for the bad things that have come to pass for David. 
We've got more flashback. We do. I mean, <laughs> it's pink uh, Shostrum loves a flashback, yeah. And we are going back through David's life in a way that reminds me of a couple of things. Go on. A Christmas Carol. Definitely. And It's a Wonderful Life. I put both of those things There as we well. go. Yep. Ding, ding, ding. Full house. Yes. Um, one of them, of course, predates this. It's 1840-odd for the Dickens. Yes. But the Frank Capra film is several decades in the future. It's why I don't understand the purpose of reordering this film, because you get little bits and pieces revealed with each flashback. So, so far we had George painted as this lovable, jolly old fellow. It turns out that he is much more like the beard gave him away. He is a little <laughs> devil and he is ruining lives with alcoholism and naughty ideas and bad things and just generally promoting a dodgy lifestyle mm-hmm. to the point of where he David chose to have drunk fun instead of go anywhere near his kids. But there is this beautiful moment where he's shown what he could have won. That he's yeah. shown the beautiful family. There's like a kid in an impossibly cute bonnet, like playing in grass. You know, all the yeah, classics. Yeah, they're on a picnic or something and it's a yeah, sunny day. the picnic where she's bought laundry because women just love doing housework. They like, the, yep. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. She's wearing Edwardian heels in a field. It's fine. Yeah. Life is life. But, you know, they're, they're having a great time. He's drowning his kid and he's not really. He's, no. he's playing with his child. <laughs> I thought no, he was fishing. It is lovely. Um, it's really cute. He's got a couple of kids and his kid brother, we find out, is also there. But then it flashes to what really happened and it turns out he chose the booze. Um, and his incredibly attractive younger brother is turns out, instead of being this wholesome, smiling creature that yeah. we see in the first fake flashback, <laughs> it's... Uh, and I say it it sounds it is complicated, but it isn't really difficult to follow when you're oh, sort of going so through. Oh, it's so easy when you're looking at it. It's harder to describe because it's all visual. Yeah. So we're trying to describe something in an audio medium that is purely visual. Should so. have thought about that, really, shouldn't I? Technically, yes, but <laughs> this is something I flagged up and it makes sense. Yeah. But yes, it turns out that the fit brother is terrible now and always wasted, and that the family that David leaves behind to have a fun life but are just having a really truly terrible time. Yeah. David keeps being delivered to the family as a wreck by George. Yeah. You know, by George. Yeah. By George. Yeah, um, they just sort of leave him on the pavement outside one of them, don't they? They say, yeah. oh, this is, here you go. That's yours. <laughs> That's yours. You can have that. Prison aesthetic is on point. Oh my God. <laughs> Every single outfit in that prison, I know it's wrong, right? But the guy that's dressed like the baddie from Mario. I'm oh like, yes! Oh, the prison, the prison warder, the prison guard, or something. Gear. It's it a is wonderful fetish outfit. Gear that is, but actually, the inmate outfit that mm-hmm. David is in is incredibly smart, um, and I was very impressed. However, so you've been a drunk. Yep. You've probably drunk all your money away. Probably. You're I mean, it's not pretty cheap, much is it? a terrible husband. Yep. And father. It's a given. But what's your true punishment? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, a lawyer comes in and I suppose they lock you up for a little bit, you know. Yeah. Maybe don't give you any booze for a little bit, just some water and cabbage or something. Yeah, you're close. Actually, your greatest punishment is that your brother killed a man and so you get to do time for him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The brother gets incredibly drunk and kills someone and for some reason, in a fit of not adhering to any laws that have ever existed although we should look that up <laughs> yeah but it does seem to be odd you know I, the the rationale as i recall is that it was your fault that he yeah. got all drunk and you're yeah. a bad influence on him 
so you should be in prison instead of him for the murder that he did. Well, the killing. You might not. I don't know. Do you know? I've had a. I've had an idea. Mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe that was a tough paper round, and that brother is supposed to be younger than he looks. Ah, he may not be legal. Not of age. age. Yes. Right. But he's been corrupted enough to kill. He does look young. Yeah. Um, Yes. Whoops. <laughs> so, brother did the crime and you do the time. It's all very Christmas Carol, I've written. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because this is, ooh, what would have happened? And then, yeah, what about your wife and kids, David? It takes till this point of him wailing and saying, goodness, I did so wrong, before he even remembers them. Yeah. There are several times in the, his narrative where he's offered goodness, he's offered kindness, yep. he's offered a chance... To sort of mend his ways yeah. and to turn around, and he does not take he doesn't spoilers he doesn't take it. No, still a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. Chapter three. The film's in chapters, uh, which I was thinking about, and I wonder if this is a hangover from the fact that it's an adaptation of a book. Absolutely. Because, no, they'll be trying to keep it as much like culture as possible. Yes, yeah, it's because me as well. the, the the conventions don't exist yet nope. for how to do. A film. It's why films would have intermissions. You know, yeah. like they didn't know what else to do. They're like, oh, that's yeah, made yeah, you sit yeah. for two hours. We should have an intermission in this. <laughs> Wifey's long gone. Mm-hmm. She's left some incredible wallpaper behind. And the bitchy neighbours are dressed in, like, perfectly. Except they're just in an apron and a dressing gown. Like, yeah. everything is so tailored. I wanted to cry. Snippy with him. They're quite, they're quite snippy, you know? They're quite... Um... <laughs> Yeah, they're quite they're quite condescending to uh, to the newly released David. They from just the prison. yeah, they seem like Doc Cotton young. <laughs> so you know, I don't like to gossip, but and it's just Doc sort Cotton of was never young. No, it's true. <laughs> June Brown. Yeah, they're mean, but they have every right to be. We don't actually know that yet that they have every right. No, to that's be mean, true, but um, because we're only being fed information in in flashbacks. Vengeance is sworn, though. So he gets back being like, I did a good, I did a prison, I've yes, come back. I've come back, I'm going to be good now. Yeah. But yes, the, the house is empty and he says, because he asks the neighbour, you know, yeah. what, what happened, is she ill? Yeah. And the neighbour says, oh no, she was well enough when she left, you sorry ass. You Troll-a-lol. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Off you Paraphrasing. She took, when she took the children and left you. Yes. It is much more of a shame in this time to leave your partner. Yes. Uh, that should be noted. It's not a normal thing. It's not that it should be normal now, but you know, like it's but, much yeah. it's much more socially acceptable to leave your partner, especially if they're this abusive. Jesus. Yeah. Please leave them. <laughs> but in this day and age it is definitely they those women are behaving like it's the most shameful thing you can do or have done to you. Mm-hmm. Beautiful wallpaper at the slum station. Yes. Because he vows to travel the land basically trying to find his family again doesn't yes, he yes he does he said well for vengeance he's for not ven- trying to find yeah no, no yes he just yeah he wants revenge uh, <laughs> he's so not a good man he's a very bad man he is he's weirdly very striking i like i find him quite a striking face with and without a beard which i think is a gift i feel like mm. it's hard to be interesting with with or without you know? Yeah, yeah, um, I know what you mean. And he's the director now. Yes, it's the director, it's Victor Shostrom. So he knew what he was going for. Yeah, and I think it's a very good performance. Yeah, but also, how do you, how do you direct it and do those double exposure scenes and be in the double exposure scenes? Yeah, I mean, 
Well, he worked. You filmed the one you're in. Yeah, he worked very closely with his cameraman as well. So yes, you know. So, but but they were all, as I understand, they were all planned out very meticulously beforehand. Right. You do you run it through many many times without anything in the camera. Of course you do. Um, yes, yes, yes. So that it works. But yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it's an extraordinary feat, and it anyway, and it's even more so when, as you say, you are in the scenes, so you can't be. Yeah. You can't see what it looks like from behind the camera. You have to trust your crew. <laughs> I will say that the people that work in the Slum Station are Slum Sisters, which is a great band name that you can have on us. <laughs> it's also written on a band on her arm. Yeah, Slum. And on her hat at some point as well, I think. We've got a Slum hat. I'm so funny. Um, Sister Edith is too kind for her own good. Weird. Yes, because the oh. Salvation Army hostel is in the town that we open in if that yes. makes sense and this is their first time basically he rocks up and he's their first customer yeah they are basically yeah house for the poor we should say that yes uh the salvation army unfortunately have fallen into disrepair in recent years being inherently homophobic uh, loudly um, yeah but in the past used to be a wonderful place that would help anybody basically they were just there yeah. under the grace of god if you like to do good and things like these poor houses would open up shelters and they did a lot of charity work a lot of fundraising yeah and a lot of spreading the good word trying to convert communities yes but also humanitarian exactly work, that yes yes yes, yes absolutely yeah. until until yeah yeah the horrors of modern times yes but you know all of those are ahead of us in in 1921 they are yes yes now now gay is just illegal (laughs) yeah (laughs) you didn't have to worry about it um oh dear (laughs) was that too much sorry i got no no you're right no i think it's important to say no it's important yeah you're right yes it it derails us slightly but it's worth being derailed because there are a great many charities doing similar work but who do not discriminate on sexual grounds true yeah you know, and it, it it is a sad state of affairs. Mm. But yes, for the purposes of this film, mm-hmm. what we need to know, I suppose, and what we're going with is that yeah, uh, Sister Edith is running with colleagues that are running a shelter for the homeless and down and out yeah absolutely and it's brand spanking new with some glorious wallpaper in every room that i will talk about later because they've done it on purpose in one of the rooms i think so but (laughs) the cooties from the coat really made me laugh because (laughs) i've never known anyone to i don't i don't know i've never known anyone to catch i know it's a little bit too soon to make any kind of well, I mean, catching Joke. catching disease, airborne yeah. diseases are very topical, as we record. Airborne diseases, but not from a coat. Yeah. Oh, his coat looks it's pretty manky, though. Like, the um, the costume design is good all the way through in this. But one of the things I did notice, and I've got a note here, is that when we meet him again here, well, mm. obviously some time has elapsed yeah. since he was in his empty house and varying vengeance, and he does look like a proper down and out. You know, he looks like a tramp. He looks fully he's, dirty, he's not dirty stage and, dirty. Yeah. Yes, you're dead right. He doesn't look Hollywood dirty where they're like perfect teeth but smear some dirt on. Like They make yeah. everything look haggard. Absolutely. Did the coat have galloping consumption, I've written. <laughs> Here's where I'm going to talk about the wallpaper. So he's... Like, don't feed me, go away. They're trying to do everything for him. Yeah. And Nurse Edith is like, I want the first person that comes here to be a good person. Yeah. So she's just on a mission, uh, no pun intended, but <laughs> I guess. 
Well, yeah. But um, <laughs> they sleep him in a room that is beautifully kitted out in peacock eye wallpaper. Yeah. And it's the whole room is watching him sleep. It's so interesting to put him in there. And I thought they were just one feather, but actually I think they are tiny, tiny peacocks, each individual one right. that make up one giant eye. But it's all very much the evil eye. It's all very much the idea that having a peacock feather in your home was said to be unlucky because it was evil watching you. Yeah, and this is like sort of narratively, this is where David and Edith intersect for the first time and she he is under her influence but she is surveilling him yes, from, from this point exactly on exactly what i was yes where i was going with that and in the morning you know and he wakes up and he's like oh yeah fixed jacket and then girl i hate fixed jackets <laughs> and he wakes up sister edith well he asks the other very sweet nurse to wake sister edith up because he wants to t- Wants to dramatically deconstruct the jacket again in front of her. He does a little before he does that. Like the the music cues are suggesting that perhaps he wants to thank her. You see him looking yes. at the coat and noticing that it's been repaired and yeah. testing out the the things. Doing and, the buttons up exactly, and, and and then he you know he asks if he can meet the person who does it, and she sort of goes off smiling, and it does look like the expectation is he's going to say you know. Thank you Thank ever you so, so much. much oh, I'm so humble. You've, you've fixed my coat. It's marvelous. I love God now. Mm. Mm. But yeah, he, he, but, but as discussed, David Holm is a bad man. Yes. And it turns out that he wants... To make eye contact when he rips the jacket <laughs> apart again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and I've put bloody Torians. Anybody that knows or has met or is a Taurus, if I said to you, I like my jacket like this, it's always been like this, why are you trying to fix it? You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not, I mean... <laughs> no, no defence, it's over. Uh, uh, David is, but he, this is another point in which David goes out of his way to be cruel, in which yes. he is offered kindness again, and deliberately and purposefully yes. rejects it in a very violent way. What I got from this, Sister Edith's takeaway from this entire thing was, I'm going to make him good her new year's wish for him mm-hmm. was that he would have a good year yeah i say wish she prayed but like a prayer and a wish very similar things yes. but it's specifically important that she prays to god she said hey god please give this man a happy year yeah a good year he is good and i wrote that this is essentially a film about how there is no god <laughs> and I feel like it happens again and again. The more I was watching it, I was like, this is flipping radical for the time. Mm. It really is like no God involved. Yeah. No God involved at any point apart from people putting a name to something. But it, I know that's, <laughs> let's not talk about how that is religion. <laughs> oh, <'cause>, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's another story for another time. <laughs> but it, it immediately proves it. We know he doesn't redeem in no. the way that she was hoping he would. Yeah. I'm and gonna... in the way that she prayed that he would. I feel like in a lot of ways her interventions make things worse for Every everyone. single time. And yeah, and I feel like again this is something that they got away with because it's culture, it's literature. Yeah. They're adapting a respected book. So they got this stuff in there that otherwise might have fallen foul. Yeah. And I put are you sure about that? Because he's a phantom now. Oops. Whoops. <laughs> and I put yes, it's a wonderful life vibes too. It's a very strong scythe game. It's got the proper double handle. It's very traditional scythe, and I'd expect nothing less from Sweden. You yeah. know, like it looks like 
a piece of proper Scandi woodwork yes. and then a blade. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's gorgeous. Yeah. I liked as well that George's coachman get-up, if you yes. like, is is dirty and is stained. Yeah. Um, because this is not a prestigious gig. No. He's not like the imposing sort of Holbein death figure, mm. you know, who comes... He he is driving a raggedy He's old, a dirty old carriage. Yeah. Having a terrible time. Collecting souls. Collecting souls. Yes. Thank you. Dead right. You... <laughs> you love this man i've written <laughs> so yes. sister edith deathbed confessions hashtag you love this man do you although we're, a, we're returning to inception we're going to get some flashbacks oh, that's true yes why. yes but in the but yeah but but it is with all of these kind of caveats it is a, a massive curveball there's yes. nothing uh, given that we've just seen their cute meeting where she fixes up his dirty old coat and he rips it apart in front of her grinning, yes. saying, you know, you shouldn't have done that. I like my coat the way it is. This is not romantic comedy territory, is it? <laughs> no, but I did put that the whole of the montage of all the times that there was Sally Army Girl versus Rogue was like how Guys and Dolls would have gone if it was written by someone else. <laughs> yeah, <You know>? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where it's like, you know... It, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. In this case, the Sally Army girl is weirdly pursuing the rogue. Yeah. But Who never shows any interest in her in the slightest, as far as I no, can make out. No, she's just picked a horrendously toxic human being. And, I mean, daddy issues. But anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd like to talk later on about, like, why. Once we get, we'll, we'll go through this next sure. thing, this next uh, flashback. But I would be interested to talk about why we think she makes such a declaration. Oh, yeah, I've got thoughts about it already. Yeah. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> to this guy, she represents every single thing he hates and for no reason. We're not given a reason why he hates God um, other than maybe the prison time. I wondered if the prison time might have been like a, everything's so unfair. Prison time and a long time of alcoholism will make you rather embittered towards... God and things, I suppose, maybe. Yeah, I mean, his own attitude, we find out later, is very clear, So, as in the victimhood stuff. So yes. it's probably just a God's out to get me <laughs> yes. moment. In oh. one of the flashbacks, mm -hmm. potentially it's our suicidal guy that comes back into the picture because it's the flashback, so he's not dead yet. Yeah. And it's Sister Edith intervening while David is hardcore enabling this poor suicidal chap to... Drink more, drink yeah, more. Yeah, drink more with, with our cronies and our yeah, drinking pals. Yeah, she splits up the party in the pub, basically, and um, is a general buzzkill. Um, <laughs> for good reason, but yeah, no. no, Yeah, but the life of the party she is not. No. And given that he's on like an eternal search for Mrs. Home, his wife, there is a scene where they're in the same room. Yes, but he doesn't... He has no he idea. He doesn't know that yet. No, it's a bit... What is it that they're at? big meeting it's a big yes because in the pub when we're in the oh, pub there she's flyering yes. for this big salvation army meeting Dead you know right. presumably they're going to talk about you know, being good turning away from sin and and yeah yeah and, like uh, and he because uh, again he takes a flyer looks at it and then sort of crumples it up and throws it in her face while sort of grinning at her yeah you know, just out of sheer devilry but one of the things that happens in the pub there before the meeting is that one of the one of the drinking buddies is inveigled to go back to his wife, right? Yep. Which is another example to David yes. of turn away from this path that you're yeah. on. 
Which he doesn't take. No. He doesn't take that role. Also, it's him in the sort of tempter role that George was in yeah, yeah, he earlier that, 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 yes, that this cycle is repeating, that he is luring more souls onto the path of perdition to take the Salvation Army line, right? Yeah. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, even though he throws the flyer back in her face, he does end up at the big meeting for some some reason. Yes. At the very end, they go to meet, and in a way, if this had been film convention in the way that we know it now, that would have been their chance for like a flirty argumentative exchange of like boop I don't really like you but I'll like you by the end of the film sure and what she gets is I cough in people's faces with the hope of finishing them off (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay buddy but you know he's horrible he David Holm is a bad man repeat after me (laughs) yeah but Edith's entire Salvation Army outfit is fire oh it's very nice isn't it so good so well fitted such a good hat that should be for witches, but is in fact for converting people to Christianity. <laughs> this soul doesn't want saving, that's for sure. Yeah, my note from this meeting here, mm. if you'd like, is that Edith's insistence that home is a good man is not supported by anything at all. <laughs> like, Literally right, right, nothing. Right, right. <laughs> nothing that he it's does. supported by her saying a prayer and assuming it was being answered. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a lot like sending an email that's really important and then assuming that that's consent you know like yeah. i'm not coming into work today i don't feel like it and you're like cool i didn't get a reply <laughs> you know, i just won't be a doctor today <laughs> so turns out sister edith doesn't know anything about love so it doesn't surprise me at all that she says she loves david because uh <laughs> one of the things she suggests when mrs holm confides in her that maybe she's the one that david's looking for yes because he won't tell her who he's looking for he says i have to when i find him i have to leave town soon i'm looking for somebody and she's she's very upset at the idea that this like horrible drunk evil man who who, consumptive drunk who coughs in people's faces to To try and kill them will be leaving town soon but she won't he won't tell her she does a bit of a cry who he's looking for but mrs holm is there and has a pretty good idea because she knows this wastrel of old. Yeah. And um, Edith's advice is, oh, you take him back, he's great. Yeah, I know he'll be good if you only, yep. you know, only give him another chance. Which is a terrible idea. It's really, really awful. <laughs> mm. It's really awful she's putting a woman in danger and doing it under the guise of being a woman of God. but it's not presented like watching the film i didn't get the idea the film whatever sort of morality or whatever the film is putting across yeah it it's a very equivocal endorsement of this there is very little narratively to suggest that this is a good idea i suppose because we've already met him later on and we know that he (laughs) remains a wastrel but Oh, I see, yes, because this is a flashback. Flashback, because yes, yes, he's yes, dead. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mrs. Holm would only be, A, confiding and B, listening to this advice because this woman works for the Salvation Army. Yeah. Not because she knows her and she knows that her word is right. Mm-hmm. It's because she's doing it under the guise of being in a position of power that this woman yeah. can trust. Yeah. And that's another abuse of power in yes. this film. Yes. So there's a lot going on, Sweden. <laughs> terrible, terrible advice, Edith. She was right to run WTF. I wore my best apron for my drunk husband to find and kill me in. <laughs> I also wrote as well. Pinstripe apron. It's very Victorian, actually. Much more so than 20s, but lovely. Mm-hmm. 
because yes, it doesn't take him long to go back on back to his old booze and ways. Yeah. Because um, we get we do get that lovely. Oh scene. no, hold on. We've not had yeah. We've not had him redeemed yet. So he's dressed up. Yeah. Um. So it really reminds me of that scene where Alfred Molina in Chocolat has been briefing Peter Stormare on how to be a better husband, just to get back at the leading lady in Chocolat. <laughs> Uh, to Lena Olin's character and obviously he's just been beating seven shades of everything out of this woman for years but it's like oh no I fixed him I got him a new shirt and I yep. gave him a bunch of flowers gave him a scrub there you go yeah, have him back much better and it's a fairly cute reunion but there is this undertone of like this shouldn't be happening well nothing we've seen from him suggests that he's even remotely on his way to reforming. No, he just wore a different suit. Yeah. So, um, true to form, the impression is given that it's been some time has passed, but he rolls in drunk to cough over the kids while he's <laughs> while he's out of it. Yeah. And sort of poke at them while they're asleep and like cough all over them. It's horrible. It's really it <laughs> genuinely unpleasant. A genuinely tense and horrible scene. Like, truly, I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting it, again, from something so old. Yeah. But it is, like, my heart was in my mouth a bit because she does look like a frightened animal, the wife. And the kids are sleeping through a lot of it, but they are starting to stir. And then, for some reason, he has a kitchen axe. Um, (laughs) And then we have a shining moment. Yeah, yeah, because Mrs. Home takes her children into the other room and they sort of, it looks like they're making some preparations to to leave and they lock they lock him in the kitchen right yeah lock him in the kitchen and, and then when he can't get through the door yep he immediately he, finds his kitchen axe, he, yeah. he goes full jack torrance did you not say that there was a connection to those yes um i wasn't able to track down kubrick didn't write or speak a lot about like his influences so i haven't got anything from kubrick's right. mouth if you'd like that it was <laughs> that it was an influence on him but mm. i think if you look at and there are online people have you know run the two of them next to each other the way the shots are paced and framed yeah of the axe going through the door they are very similar and you said you, you i recognize it, you whole scenes. It i do kind away. of know the words to the shining so it's uh i've seen it a lot and whole scenes are not copied but certainly positionally like they're very very similar and it's There's... really interesting seeing it translated in that way actually yeah, it's, the, it's the cut between the axe going in because we get the shot from his side of yes. the door, and you see him swing so the axe, modern. and then it cuts to the other side as a bit more of the door gives way yes. as it impacts, which I think I remember from The Shining. It happens there, you know. It is the... Well, there's also something horrible about him going for the handle first, which is the logical one, and when the handle doesn't give way because he's lost his temper, he just goes for the yeah for the main body of the door so he can put his arm through and use the the thing on the lock use his hand on the lock and he sort of yanks the kids back into bed um there's lots of me putting oh god he's kind for a hot second so that she wakes up because she's fainted out of fear which is never a good sign but then it's just ultimately very threatening yeah he gets her a glass of water or something to revive her but he seems to want her to revive only so he can threaten her and shout at her a bit Um. (laughs) (laughs) abuses everybody yeah but then here we have spirit ropes yes no we don't we'd had spirit ropes before when his spirit tried to escape (laughs) yeah when david tried to run because he's a coward george wasn't having any of it and tied him up with invisible ropes and they were still holding strong until this very moment and bear in mind a lot of these flashbacks are happening at the deathbed of sister edith yeah with david just 
curled up in the corner being a chicken. Yeah, he's having a terrible time. Yeah. And it's, well, look, look who it is. It's the consequences of my actions. Back to haunt me, yes. Yeah, because he is awful. Yes. Right? But this is where it's revealed mm-hmm. that he takes hell souls. Yes. He takes the souls of the damned. And it's not mentioned at any point until this moment when... A lot of these flashbacks that we're getting of David's marital life are coming while he is bound with spirit ropes at the bed of the dying Edith. Um, they have the, the carriage has come to see Edith, and she is pleading with George, who she believes to be death, yep. uh, for a little extra time. She says, "I'm not afraid of you, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but I I don't I can't go just yet. I have things to do, you know." I yeah. have, and uh, one of these things is that uh, she wants to see. David again because it's a year since he was there in the hostel and she wanted to see him again in a year's time which is tonight to find out whether her prayers have been answered and whether he is a good man yes right and this is when she also says that she loves him and it's the man that she loves that she wants to see and of course he is lying prostrate while dead and at the foot of the bed and listening to all this and does seem to be Moved. Uh, moved by this. I mean, he's a coward, but he's frightened of responsibility. He's frightened of what's happened to him. You know, of the consequences. Of the consequences, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So to make her wish come true and so that she can pass, he appears to her, or he's allowed to appear to her by mm-hmm. George, who says that you can, you can observe, basically. And they have a moment. And when you think of it all being done in double exposure... She's just chatting to a wall the whole time. Yeah. And they are chatting to an empty bed. Or even not even a bed, because you'd have to do Yeah, I think so they put the bed, bed in afterwards. And yes. And yes, film the bed again without her there, I yes. think. And then, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> no, it's a, as I keep saying, it's a, it's a masterpiece of yeah. organisation. But, that's, but then, that's worth nothing. All of the, we can talk to a blue in the face about the techniques of how they did it. Yeah. But it's, none of it is worth anything unless it works and connects emotionally and narratively. Yeah, exactly that. And there's a lovely moment where he touches her hand and that's how she knows he's there, but also they were never in the same room together yeah. doing that shot. So it's really nicely timed. I must have taken bloody ages. Yeah. But stunning. And then she passes away and David is kind of ready to take her soul, if you like, and George says, oh, we don't take her. Yeah. You know, we we can't take her. And that's where we find out that he is collecting damned souls and that part of his damnation is that he is doomed to go for a year collecting the souls of people who are awful, like yeah. the suicidal guy, because suicide equals hell yep. in deep Christianity. Yeah. I was curious about the young boy at sea. I wonder if he was a pirate. Yeah, could be. I mean, <laughs> he might yes, be a pirate. Might be a pirate. Um, <laughs> had a bad life, you know. Yes, yeah, we but, don't get the the background, but of course, it makes sense that that people like Edith, who has selflessly given her life to good causes, yeah, she's not going to the same. Is place. not going to go in the back of this manky van with a sinner. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Oh, what this means theologically, you said it was a film without God, and yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, because I'm pretty sure this is non-biblical. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just not exactly. how it's supposed to work. I don't know how you square that one. Well, I mean, you don't. The thing. I mean, she is a she's a pious Christian lady, but well, here's the thing. Death is supposed to come for everyone. Mm. This is never called death, apart from the people that mistake him as death. Yeah, because he's wearing the outfit, basically. Yeah, and we know he changes every year, right? The last person yeah. to die. Is... And they say yes, the rider changes, but the carriage is always the same. Yes. 
so it's death. Right? Well, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> but it's not. Yes, exactly. Because if it was death, it would take everyone. Yeah. Which implies that there's a really cool carriage sequel, everyone, <laughs> that comes and gets the people that have been good. The pure of heart, yes. Yes, but also, is it an angel that appears to the good? And is it is he a demon mm. in the eyes of this film? Really interesting. There's also, I wanted to talk a little bit about runaway carriages, the, the ghost the apparition that is very commonly seen um, oh. not to promote too hard another podcast Go on. but but i'm gonna so the folklore <laughs> podcast by mark norman is incredibly beautifully done um as far as i'm aware it's only available uh to access via a search engine because i think they have their own website they're not on all of the things okay so just google them but Oh, Elijah's on Apple Podcasts, but... <laughs> what, was um, the, what was the name of the podcast again? The Folklore Podcast. Thank you. So it does what it says on the tin. The Folklore Podcast by Mark Norman, who has affiliations with the Witchcraft Museum in Bowcastle in Cornwall. Yeah. And lots of other bits and pieces about haunted things, but has an incredible episode about carriages. So I'll explain that some of the apparition, the most common depiction of the apparition, if you like is that a runaway carriage going at high speed is either careening towards you or going directly into a pond. Ooh. So it goes up and it dives into the pond in front of your eyes. Right, wow. uh, terrifying. And actually it gives me goosebumps to think yeah. about there's something about it that's really nasty. Also, any time in any film, it's a real horror trope to have a vehicle heading towards you at high speed that just disappears. Of course. But having a horse-drawn carriage is so much worse. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this plays on all these things that would have been so much more regularly seen back yeah. then because everyone's wandering around with no streetlights still. Yes. You know, the minute you go in the countryside, you're in dead air. Yeah. And um, this, is, this is roughly contemporaneous to the invention of the Model T, but still we're in a pre-motor car oh, society yeah. here yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's really interesting. It, it made me think of Emily Dickinson mm. and the and one of her poems which uh, starts, Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. Hot. <laughs> Then I have quite a lot of notes where I'm basically egging someone on to kill their children. That is not yeah. what I mean. <laughs> but I was determined that children were going to die in this film because they nearly die so many times. And because we don't see them in the present day no. parts of this. We meet Mrs. Home and the dying Edith, but yeah. uh, there is certainly an element of ambiguity over their fate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, very sweetly, the carriage is then attracted to... His own wife, mm. basically. Yes. And he recognises... Uh, sorry, David's own wife. He recognises her instantly. George is kind of sorry to that it's come to this. Yes. He actually has a real kind of... Ooh, you know, this isn't just the ghost of Christmas future. Um, <laughs> no, this is George as well after a year of, of doing this. So yeah. he has he's been shaped by his experience. He's, he's noticeably not the same person, not the same character in the quote-unquote present-day yeah. scenes as he is in the flashbacks when he's, a, when he's alive. Right? No, totally. His year of driving the carriage has changed him. Yes. And in seeing what's, what's happening in front of him, David does beg George to to help to stop whatever's happening you know basically mm. mrs home has found a white powder i wondered if it might be laudanum um possibly is that, yeah. that's a poison right yeah it's um it's a drinkable opium i think mm, i thought so yeah 
uh, maybe cyanide in white powder form, yeah. anything like that. But it's essentially we're meant to believe it's poison. Um, and again, it's very clear. That it that's as in it's obviously Even poison. without, you know, it's not like she gets a big bottle with a skull and crossbones on it. No, but, uh, and she's chatting to herself basically, saying, "Forgive me, I, I can't leave them." Yeah, I can't leave them, and it's not my fault. Is the other yes. thing that she says, which it's is not my fault. Oh, never something you want to hear. <laughs> really not, really not. So she puts the magic powder into the tea, uh, gives the tea a good stir, and he's watching, knowing that she basically says, "Just enough for me and them." Yeah, it's almost as if she's talking to him, but she can't see him. No, and she has actually fully lost her mind at this point. She's not wearing a single item of clothing without holes in it. She, which is how we depict. Uh, someone who's not doing well yes. in these films. Yeah, yeah. And the eye makeup's gone a bit extra wild, and she's shaking and things. So like, she doesn't look well. And, and she's, she's in a sort of shack as well. She's notably yeah. gone down in stature since you know her yeah. earlier marital days when they, she had that nice house with the wallpaper and things. It's true. And George just responds with, "We cannot influence the living." Yeah. Um, and as you said when we were watching it, you had a chance. To influence yeah, thing. yeah, we had every chance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and we're shown them again and again in this film, I mean, yeah. But then he begins to... There is this pleading idea, you know, where, where there, it turns out we are in a redemption story of sorts. Mm-hmm. George allows David back into his body after a true prayer. Yeah. It's very well done as well in that Shostrom does sell anguish very well. Like whether he's, oh yeah, I I myself have some doubts about David's change of heart. Yes, but he certainly sells the pain. Yes, and he sells the sort of sincerity in that moment. But we know that David Holm can do that. It's just that when he get you know later on his resolve. Yes, well, it's not for his wife. It's for his children. Yeah. That's what really gets him, is that it's not their fault, you know, it's nothing to do with them. Yeah, they are innocent. Exactly. So this true prayer, wifey just has to make poison really slowly. Yeah. (laughs) To make sure he gets all of his prayer out the way. Yeah. And then he rocks up. She's not surprised. Yeah, he stands up. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yes, he stands up at the graveyard. He's allowed, yeah. His soul is allowed back into his body where his body is, which is a nice touch, well remembered mm-hmm. uh, by the director. Yes. <laughs> to not just make him appear. Ping. Makes his way, as she makes tea very, very slowly, <laughs> with poison in it, to her door, catches her just before the act, and then does some heavy repentant crying, which I wrote angrily about for about a third of the page, <laughs> um, saying it's a toxic as balls relationship. Get out of there, lady. Yeah. And that's a hell of a hangover. <laughs> oh, poor guy. No one believes you want to reform. Yeah. You told one person, and it's your abused wife. Jog on, mate. And if, but also, <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. But she quite rightly points out, because he said... Oh, yeah. He talks about being at Edith's bedside... And so, you know, when repenting there, right? Which he was there in spirit because we've we've <laughs> yeah. seen it, right? In spirit, yeah. But like, but as she points out, like everybody in town knows that he just didn't show up. You know, I mean, we remember at the beginning of the film he was invited and he laughs and then he gets into a fight and dies. So, <laughs> but the scene where she's about to sort of do her children in is really genuinely tense and frightening, oh, and you think it's gonna, and um, it works on him as well. I suppose we haven't seen him cry before. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I have I have extreme doubts about the longevity of his conversion. Like, not that he's not sincere. Like, I believe that he 
is horrified by what he sees yes. in that scene. But it's just, uh, he is probably an alcoholic. Yes, but perhaps that was him realising it. It's more the attitude that I was talking about earlier. When I said to you, why does he hate God? And I wondered if it was because of the, um, God hates me, God is a lie. It comes from this particular attitude of, I've done what you wanted. Yes. <laughs> I did everything right here. And again, no one believes me. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're a terrible person. Yeah. Like, I don't care about your feelings. <laughs> I really hate you. I remember you. You're the consumptive who coughs in the faces of others to speed them on their way to death. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't, yeah. Um, you're basically responsible for the death of a really kind lady. Oh, yeah. She caught, I mean, it's it's said in the intertitle yeah, that she, she caught, caught it, from, it his coat. from his manky, horrible coat. So, yeah, jog on, mate, is the last thing I wrote, and then slut. As in, because that means the end. Swedish for the end. <laughs> it <just laughs> did not stop being funny throughout the whole film. It shouldn't be funny. <laughs> it shouldn't be funny. No. But every time it comes up. Slut. Anyway, I wanted to talk briefly, just before we close there, about love. Yes, me too. I think she means the Christian love. I don't think... I think we were taking it out of context, possibly for comedic effect. But I do not believe that she was cast to be in love with him. Because A, she wouldn't have been down in the in the context of the time. She wouldn't have been super down to be pally with the wife. And she nope. wouldn't have encouraged them to get back together. Yeah. Two, she would have said in love, not love him. I'm in love with him versus I love him. Yeah. And three, she is primed and ready for that period in Christianity, in the history of Christianity, in this time that we're talking about where the big onus would have been on preaching love. Sure. On trying to love thy neighbour, on trying to love the unfortunates. And she's spreading the message of the law. She is a missionary. You know, she's she's a Sally Army girl. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's what they're known for. So I do think when she's like, look, I have a lot of love for him. Even though she gets upset when he's leaving, it's from that place of caring, of like, but then I'll never find out if you're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I do feel like it is bound up in pride in her as well. I know, I because, noticed that, but she still gets to heaven. Because she wants to save him. She wants to believe that he is good and that she can affect his salvation. Right? Do you think she's attracted to him at all? No. I think she pities him, and I think that's what he picks up on. Mm -hmm. I think she views him as, a, as an alley cat that just needs a good taming. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Not in a sexy way, but no. like, you know, like... He's a challenge. He's he's her test, yeah. Yeah. He's the test yeah. of her faith. Yeah. So she's treating him that way rather than like a human being, and I think he smelled it a mile off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so yeah. deliberately messed with her. Yeah, yeah. But then I suppose his... I'm thinking about when she's on her deathbed and he is there in spirit yeah. form, and her saying this seems to hurt him, I suppose because... He's watching her plead for her life so that she can see him again before yes. she goes, which I suppose affects even a man such as him. Yeah. It has, uh, has an effect on him. But I, I just wonder about the reaction to the others in her de in her sort of bedchamber at the very beginning of the film where she says, send for David home. Yeah. And they sort of confer with one another going like, really, this David home guy again? She's overdoing it a little bit with, uh, with this. I, I, in that... I see what you're saying and I don't disagree with you, but I feel mm. like I feel like she takes it rather far, even in the Salvation Army context, because it does seem that the others there and the, one right. of the other sisters 
seem to be sort of suggesting that maybe just maybe leave David home. <laughs> they do just they do hate him though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, it's also meant to be that she's so angelic. Yeah. She yeah. she will go through hell and high water to help this horrible man, mm-hmm. despite everything, you know, yes. like and that that's meant to be a sign of her purity. Uh, I yes, think. Yeah. yeah, um, that they don't share. Doesn't yeah. mean they won't get to heaven, but it no. means that. Um, but also, I mean, I say it's. I don't think she, I was going to say it's debatable. But I don't think she really helps. I feel like a lot of her interventions make things worse. That's the word I was looking for: <laughs> devotion. Ah, yes. Yes, she's she's devoted to him. She's devoted to the cause that is him. Yes. Yes, not him. No. Not yeah. No, because <laughs> again, she would have told the wife to run for the hills and maybe supplied her with something to, so she didn't live in a slum. Yeah. <laughs> and try and kill herself and her children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this thing going back to him, um, is, is transparently obviously a a bad idea. Yeah. There is nothing from him that suggests that he's learnt anything. In fact, the opposite. There's several <laughs> things from him that suggest that he hasn't learned a damn thing yeah. from his experiences. Yeah, and but it is thanks to Edith's interventions that this state of affairs comes about. She's warned at the very beginning, don't touch his coat, it's filthy, the sterilising oven isn't working yet, you might get anything from it. But she's delighted to be helping an unfortunate. Yes. She's very, very pleased to be stitching up his horrible coat. He doesn't appreciate or like... And that ultimately gives her consumption and she dies. Yeah. <laughs> Bleak. And now, to, to sort of wrap up the film, we end on a prayer. So... Oh, yes. I wanted to touch just briefly as we as we close yeah. on... As I said earlier, that the, the genre of horror film hasn't been invented yet, doesn't yes. exist, it isn't a thing. But there are elements and sections of this which are genuinely quite horrifying and certainly motifs and ideas that are picked up by what we will yeah. later think of as a horror film notably of course the shining sequence of beating breaking down the door to get to the cowering wife and the yes. children which is horrible yeah. and that scene near the end with the poison yeah. in the tea where like which yeah and is effectively done and is tense and is is horror is, is proper horror but in other ways this is a religious morality tale in yeah. a lot of ways right uh, like a christmas carol for instance, but I feel like with Scrooge, we believe a lot more. Like at the end of a Christmas Carol, I believe in Scrooge's rehabilitation oh, okay. because of what he's been through and because of what we've seen of it's him. Very Canterbury Tales, and, uh, actually. Oh, interesting thought. Like Chaucer. Hmm. Yeah, that's Canterbury Tales. It is. It? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's got that vibe to it. But I think that might just be because death hangs out a lot. <laughs> sure. <You know. laughs> yeah. But the idea of death being one of us, someone you recognise, someone yeah. around you, a, a presence around you. Sorry, did I derail you? No, I mean, well, yes, but in a, a very pleasant and interesting way. So okay. that's all right. I mean, I, all I was going to say was that Scrooge's the redemption arc is a lot more clearly defined. Yes. Right, and and makes the more sense that he would turn from what he has seen and yeah. from what we know of his character and what he wants and how you know and when we see him as a young man and we see that he wasn't always this way whereas um when we see david at home we just see how things could have been if he hadn't been the way he is whereas scrooge st- starts off as a decent fellow but gets if with that in mind it's interesting that the film doesn't care about blame doesn't mm. care whose fault it is you have the choice 
to make a good decision yeah. every time and chose yeah. not to and chose not to including her by the way just saying yeah yeah she ends up dead as well i mean yeah that's what i mean yeah it's a, um there's no yeah there's no deathbed reprieve for the good sister edith but yeah, in some ways it is a morality tale. So it finishes with this prayer yes. that George says, you know, if I could if I could give one thing to the people I, you know, yes. really like to pick up earlier, a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of hinting for young David, well, for old David, which of course he doesn't pick up on, is, is the prayer, Lord, please let my soul come to maturity before it is reaped. Yes. Right? Which is what we, what we close on. And in some ways is sort of set up, presented as the message of the film if you'd like you yeah. know in a very didactic way yeah it is a it is a morality tale it is a proper frightening horror film it is a sort of realist drama and the supernatural that there's all these things going yeah. on all these things at once and the supernatural element is the the headline grabbing stuff and is the is the really impressive and interesting thing but there's there's a lot of other things happening in here yeah. At the same time as well, I suppose that was all I wanted to sort of draw them all together. Yeah, exactly. um, for the for the close. Does that all? Does that make sense? Perfect. And do you have anything? No, I said all my bits. You said all your bits. I think I said all my bits. Well, that's us then, isn't it? Sweet. Splendid. Thank you very much uh, for listening. I urge you once again, give this film a bash, even if it's not normally your thing. It's incredibly beautiful. It's worth your time. If you would like to get in touch with us about anything that yes. we've talked about or about anything in general if you just fancy a chat <laughs> you can email us at hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com if you want to come and support us on social media we are available at haunted underscore picture underscore palace on Instagram and like, share, subscribe as much as possible we're trying to get the word out there about us not the good word the kind of <laughs> dirty horror word the dirty um, horror word but if you think other people would enjoy our soothing voices talking about spooky stuff let them know thank you so much for listening anything else you need to say ben no i think that's everything isn't it well Wunderschön. join us next time for the beginning of vampire season oh yes <laughs> blood um we can only do it at night uh, <laughs> Um, yes, so we're going to start a four-week season of vampire films because they are piling up. We're going to have a vampire season every now and again. Yep. So hope you like Drac. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we've got a few different variations on the theme. Oh, so, yeah, we'll uh, surprise you. A little something for everyone. Uh, which one what are we starting with? Dracula. Dracula. But we won't tell you which one, so keep an eye on the social media. Indeed. Good luck out there. Yep. Look after yourselves. Bye. Oh, bye. Thank you, bye. <laughs> Why do I keep fiddling with things? I don't know. You have a have a pencil. You can play with that. It won't make any noise. I don't know if you have one. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> expect that to tickle you like it did but i'm pleased it did it right did, it did it did hi there everyone hello and welcome to the well god blimey you forgot what we were called we're we yeah. gonna say welcome to the phantom carriage yeah yeah, yeah. i've already written it and i was gonna read that as well <laughs> it was hello. called haunted picture palace oh, hello yes haunted picture palace. hello uh do
do check this film out. Oh, that sounds very... That's not my idiom at all, is it? Um, strong boob. Boop, boop. Yes.